This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Everybody and welcome to Jcast. I'm John Abraham, joined by Damon McDonald. Uh, as I sent you off the air, Damon, things in Thailand are getting a little bit better. My park is open again. The restaurants are opening up, and hair salons and stuff with the uh, uh, social distancing caveats. But little encouraging signs that we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Hope everyone is making it through just fine. Um, hope everyone is well and healthy and. Um, again, washing your hands and your feet and your butthole. Cock and balls. <laughs> Cock and balls. Uh, wash oh, everything. Yeah, sorry, that's one thing you've reminded me, Damon. I, I, I feel that like I've misled some people when oh. I talk about my living in a hotel. It's not, you know, it's not a typical hotel room, is it? It's, it's pretty big. I've got like a balcony, uh, kitchen, washing machine. Uh, it, it's large as far as hotel rooms go the reason i bring this up is because the bathroom has one of those electronic toilet gimmicks like the japanese ones with the you know rear cleaning and everything so don't worry listeners my bumhole is absolutely immaculate it's getting well (laughs) taken care of in this hotel so just to put your mind ease i'm sure some of you were wondering we are we are it was it was heavy on our minds uh, I would not leave that room for hours. I would just, that 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 water bill would be <laughs> fucking heated toilet seat. Oh. Is, I got everything. No, what? Oh, yeah, that would be. When prim- I feel a shit coming, I'm, I'm like rubbing my hands together with glue. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> Joe popping laxatives. Just come on, keep keep him flowing. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, like, Joe. This is your twelfth poo of the day. What's going on in there? <laughs> I'm just having a wank. <laughs> right. I would just go – at that point, I would just flip, flip the script and be like, I'm going to go jerk off. What? Yeah. Okay. At least you're not pooping again. Don't Good tell point. her about the secret pooing. <laughs> right. Um, well, listen, you, it sounds like you're living in the lap of luxury over there. Uh, right. And, and great content. Two minutes in, we've taught masturbation. we taught shitting. Anything else we've got to take off the list? <laughs> I mean, we're just knocking them down. We're knocking them down. Um, I wake up this morning. I wake up every day. Singing suede now. Um, speaking of suede, boy. <laughs> of all the luck, right? Of all the fucking luck. They didn't cancel it yet, but I'll tell you. I'm just waiting for that fucking hammer to fall. I didn't book the trip, though. That's the good news. I didn't book the actual flight in the hotel. Cheryl was very smart in that. Uh, she she had reservations from the jump. Like, she had reservations from the jump. And she held off. We held off. She would dance around and fucking not uh, book. Does she know something? Yeah. Is she in the know? No, unfortunately. Having any secret trips to <laughs> Wuhan? <laughs> no, I hope not. Uh, no. Uh She's she is just I don't know like it's it's a, a hypersensitivity to these kind of things, um, so 
know what I was thinking of, and this might be a weird thought, and I'm sorry if it's if I freak some fucking people out. Um, but I was thinking about this. I might as well just talk about this. Uh, but, but let's finish the thought with Sweet. Sweet, I don't know if it's happening, but I just think it's fucking amazing that I finally get tickets to see the band I've never seen before. One of my favorites of all time, and and it's now on the thinnest of thin ice. That being said, um, there's there's they're talking about how th- this virus is actually later. You know, m- you know, first documented cases are actually later than January, or earlier than January, should I say, like December. And and the first thought in my mind was, man, I was sitting in that fucking Tokyo Dome two nights, <laughs> right? Two fucking nights. I wonder I wonder what the spread was at the Tokyo Dome. If there was a spread. You know what I mean? Like like that was like my, my first thought. Like, man, that was um and by the end of it, I got sick. I told you I I, I was sick at the end and I didn't have necessarily the exact symptoms of COVID but I was fucking knocked out I was really hurting that last that last night like we I was that could have easily been stay in bed but I I, I gutted it out Joel just to get my last piece of meat skewer <laughs> so grilled meat we, we took a train to Shibuya just to get that meat um a delicious treat, but I was sick. I was—I mean, I it was in my ear and fevery, and I didn't feel great. Um, I just wonder, like, oh, that is that. Do you think about that at all? Mm. No, not really. I mean, it's just, it's just not going to affect things either no, way, is it? That's that's a good point. I, I, you know, I've got the same kind of paranoia. Like every time I sneeze, I'm like, oh, it's the thing. But I think I think everyone goes through that, but. I don't do the retroactive, retrospective, hmm, maybe that illness I got that day was COVID because it probably wasn't. If you didn't get the symptoms, probably wasn't. So you're good. My toe hurts now, though. I might have it. (laughs) 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 I might have it right now. I've got like my sort of respiratory system. I've got asthma and it seems that like every third day I've got a cold. Or yeah. allergies or something, and I've got a runny nose, and I'm sneezing, and I'm all bunged up. And every time I start sneezing, Mally's like giving me dirty looks, like, <laughs> like I'm doing it on purpose. Especially like, God forbid, if we're out, like we've gone to the shops or something, and I sneeze, she looks at me like I've just taken a shit on the floor. <laughs> so, yeah, I, <laughs> I do suffer from the same, like second guessing myself to, to an extent. Yeah, yeah. Like I was getting back to the original. Cheryl, she um. You know, she, she's hypersensitive to this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, as much as I hate Storm, she hates this kind of stuff. And it's not like anybody likes this kind of stuff, but, you know, you get my point. You get my draft. Um, but she's like that. She'll get – she'll start clearing her throat and then co- and constantly clearing her throat. And I had to, like, w- literally walk out of my office and walk to where she's doing her work because I can hear her. And I'm like – you're right you're right right like i'm just kind of like just kind of knock her back into reality of you don't have anything you don't have to keep clearing your throat you know so. <sighs> usually happens when i enter a room <laughs> clearing her throat <laughs> probably bring out some 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 evil twitch in her ah for fuck's sake hey so anyway joe i wake up this morning i did check my phone I saw some saw some sad news. 
You want to you want to lead off with that, or you got you got a little something sunshinier that we can talk about? Yeah, I want to talk some music, Damon, first, oh! specifically oh. about the hot new single from Escape the Box, Grey. Mm. Now, this might be a controversial hot sizzling take from Music Joel, but I have a feeling that this single is more of a, a Joel song than a Damon song, because when I first started listening to it, I, I heard the little preview and I was like, oh, I'll just check this out. Went on, well, I bought it on iTunes, very reasonably priced. I can't remember how much it was, but it wasn't very much at all. Definitely worth it. And I started listening to it and it reminded me of the kind of stuff that I used to listen to like when I was in my late teens, my early 20s. Um, I was having a little chat with editor Dan about it and I could definitely hear some musical influences in there uh, groups like Taking Back Sunday, Funeral for a Friends I can definitely hear tones of that in this latest single Grey so I know uh, editor Dan's a big fan of those so you know, maybe uh, subconsciously there was a bit of uh, musical influencing going on but I really like this song and I, I think I probably enjoyed it more than you did because it's not really a Damon style song is it? It's not. No, it's not. But um, it's kind of like like his the, the previous work that, that they did um, was I don't know, kind of like yeah, more in in line with that libertines kind of sound. Um, yeah, and this yeah, I could definitely see where you where like the bands that you mentioned, the kind of like that nineties. Is, would that be emo? Would you consider those bands emo? Yeah, yeah, okay. it would. Okay. I was definitely because because I, I I was desperate to be part of the scene, but one I was too fat, and two I've got like quite curly wavy hair, so I couldn't do the fringe. Mm. So I was you know desperately trying to grow my hair out, you know the little man straighteners, try and get fringe going, but it just never happened for me. So Man. I was uh, just sort of you, you know that Russell Crowe gif of him from Les Miserables, where he's sort of peering through the window. That was me with the <laughs> emo scene. Aww. In uh, the <laughs> the mid two thousands, that's me. But you see, here's the thing: that that right around that time is when you are in at least me and people my age are in that real flux mode of, oh, the bands I like are now old, right? and the bands that I like are now no longer as relevant as they once were, and this scene has now taken that over. Um, so I, I don't know if, and it, it's, it's and it's usually not out of spite people that this happens. But it's just kind of like you you kind of – I don't want to say rebel, but you you hold on to what is yours because you feel like it's slipping away a little bit maybe that make, if that makes sense. Um, so I really wasn't into the, a lot of uh, the emo scene um, and those bands. Like is Fall Out Boy one of those bands? Yeah. Okay. I would think so. Okay. And they're a good band. Um, but it's just not like a, like a thing that I would, would, would go to, right, just because – Again, probably more for that reason more than anything else. And you're not going to find bands that sound like the bands – like now I can find a lot of bands that sound like, that have a very very influenced by um, the music that I used to listen to. You know, fucking Drab Majesty and uh, DMAs and uh, – oh, there's a new band called um, Sports Team um, in London that – just right up my fucking alley. Um, but getting back. Escape the box, Gray. Um, uh, with that being said, I'm I'm a huge fan of this it, just because it sounds like as weird as it sounds. It sounds like a fucking song you would hear on the radio. Like it does sound like a song that you would be like boop 
and here's escape the box gray and 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 to me i'm more proud of that fact than anything else like this is something that people like i just feel like this could be successful in the sense of people can connect with it and you just mentioned exactly why um I, you can you can find this anywhere i i listen to it all the time on on spotify um uh, i'm you know so if you have spotify it's there Search Escape the Box. Um, I'm sure it's on Apple Play and or um, Google Play, is it? I'll tell you exactly. You can go to ditto.fm forward slash gray. So that's gray with an E forward slash gray dash escape dash the dash box. And you can find all the platforms it's on. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely giving it two thumbs up. This is the kind of music that I like. So um, listeners, go check it out. Let's know what you think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, support Dan. He's, he is an awesome dude. And the band are great. And they're so helpful to us. Um, and over and above that, this is a fucking great band. Um, they said they're just tight and they're creative and they, and, and I, again, I'm, I couldn't be more proud, um, especially for the single. So give it a listen. Let us know what you think. Um, uh, let Dan know what, he, what you think. Um, and just keep hitting that repeat button, help them out. It's, uh, they could use all the help you can get. If we put down our defenses pandemic new japan has arrived at the decision to cancel all events on the best of the super juniors 27 tour which was scheduled between may 12th and june 6th i don't know what more can you say at this point it's like yeah another event's been cancelled okay let's move on i I have nothing to say about it i'm disappointed i was looking forward to the best of the super juniors i do have a sneaking feeling that el fantasmo might have won the whole thing so if you're not a fan of his then maybe this is a, a blessing in disguise for you but yeah, no best of Super Juniors. Hopefully it's not cancelled. Hopefully it's postponed. I would love to see it if they come back later in the year, you know, maybe slot it into World Tag League spot, something like that. But uh, we're not getting it for now. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be the guy that's like, well, we kind of knew this was going to happen, but we kind of knew this was going to happen. Um, it's. I think it's what what is... It's kind of like when you break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you know it's happening, but then you finally get that letter... <laughs> And you're like, oh, or that email, that text, and you're like, oh, okay, that's. Or like, that's- you, you'd already broken up, but you you'd had a holiday book together, right. and she hadn't mentioned it, and you thought, oh, maybe she'll still go on this with me, and we can sort of get back together, we can rekindle the spark, and then she's just messaged to confirm cancellation of the holiday. And you're like, oh. right, right, wow, that was heartbreaking. That's <laughs> a weirdly specific scenario. <laughs> What was her name? <laughs> Nothing like that's happened to me. Don't worry about that. No? Okay. Nothing we got to talk about off air or you're, you're good? Okay. Uh, I once had two What's trips you, I, I, to okay, wait, 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 within uh, the space. Oh, wait. Okay, wait. Because I, I, I talked right over you. I'm sorry. Repeat that, please. Uh, I once, ha- during the space of a two-week Christmas holiday, I had two trips to Penzance to visit uh, a girlfriend at the time, which I regret doing because... 
<laughs> There's probably two trips too many. But aside from that, oh, no, nothing like that. No. What? All right, so let's do this. Can we share? Let's share something personal on the air. What was your worst breakup story? Um, my relationship history is quite limited. So before Mali, I only had two girlfriends before that. So one was this girl, and I was dating her for oh, just a couple of months. She was mental. Um, and then another girl after that, who I was seeing for about 18 months. So I've only got two breakups to judge it against. I've, I've had more sort of traumatic experiences with, with the nearlies than actual relationships I was in that went bad. I mean, the first one, even though I can sit here and say, yeah, I, I you know, dodged a bullet and she had a lot of issues, it was still you know, quite traumatic at the time because your, your first relationship ending is always difficult, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, so yeah, I, I was, you know, really cut up over that one. Even though I, I can look back on it and laugh and think, oh my god, what was I, what was I even doing with someone like that? But, uh, <laughs> right, right. At, at the time, you know, when you're dating, you're like, yes, you know, I've nailed it first time. I found the perfect girl. This is it. This is going to last forever. And then when it goes tits up, you're just kind of shell shocked. You really, you're like, oh my god, what happened? Oh, I want it to go back the way it was. Like, uh. Yep, yep. <sighs> I'm, um, so I'm kind of on the fence right now to share my <laughs> my worst breakup story because it has a lot to do with pro wrestling. <laughs> has- okay, you definitely have to share it now. You cannot <laughs> give me that caveat and hold it back. So let's it, hear it. it. It has a lot to do with pro wrestling. Oh, Christ. Can't believe we're doing this. Okay. You weren't doing wrestling moves, were you? What's that? You weren't doing wrestling moves, were you? You didn't no, you no, no, do no, like no, you know no. something like Ibushi and wake her up with a <laughs> Phoenix no, splash no, or something. No, no. All right, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share it with you here. Here's a story from Uncle Damon. Here's a story from some point in his life. Here's a story from Uncle Damon And it may be about wrestling Or perhaps include his wife Oh, here we go. Okay. So in the early 90s, uh, I was seeing a young lady. um, And she was a friend of a friend a friend of my best friends, um, a girl that, that he was seeing. So, and they came over the my, my apartment, and we hung out, drank, blah blah blah, and wound up hooking up, and away we went. So, this was at least a year into this relationship, at least a year. Um, I would, I mean, I was going to wrestling all the time, but I I made the mistake of taking her to pro wrestling. And one of the things we went to, oh, it was a local show. Um, it was actually a, a Dennis Carluzzo NWA show. And it was, um, actually it was Chris Benoit versus Sabu. Um, it was the main event. So all of us were like, oh my God, this is going to be fucking amazing. So we kind of knew the Dennis from back then, every once in a while, you know, we would, you know, 
we were local, so we would go to all the shows and we would see him all the time. Uh, so anyway, we were talking to him. He's like, hey, after the show, go to this restaurant, Adelphia's. Um, that's where everybody's going to hang out. You come with us. We were like, all right, cool, great. So I bring her to the show. Um, and then afterwards, we go back to Adelphia's. And we're all just hanging out, blah, 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 drinking, you know, t- trying to talk to wrestlers and shit. And um, it was me and my friend, two of my friends were talking with Chris Benoit. And we were talking about, you know, how to, how, how to get into business and how to do this and how to do that. But this whole time, she's nowhere to be found. Like, I don't even know where she's at. Right? And I see over in the – I finally see – this is probably an hour. I'm not kidding you. Probably an hour. In the corner, just, you know, sitting, her and Sabu, right? And I'm like, okay, what possibly could they be talking about? But I didn't think anything of it, blah, 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 blah. But this went on for a little bit. So it's late. It's like they're ready. They're closing the restaurant and the bar. And everybody's leaving. I was like, no, no, no. It had to be a little bit early because um, people were still there. And the line was... So um, I was like, all right, you know, we got to get ready to go because I got to, you know, I don't even know what the fuck I had to do, but I had to do something. So uh, we'll get ready to leave, boom, boom, boom. And, and I go to her and I was like, okay, we're, we're ready to go. She goes, I'm going to stay. I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay. You're going to stay. So I'm like, you do whatever the fuck you want to do, but know that if you stay, yeah, we're, we're yeah. <laughs> You know, this is not going to go further, right? So she stays. And I went went home, went back to my place. And she rolls in like around four or five. And I'm like, okay, all right, okay, nice. So uh, we go, so we stayed together at that point, but then. (laughs) <laughs> um, we oh, do I have it mixed up? I might have it mixed up. No, no, I'm right. I'm right. That 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 happened. Uh, anyway, so anyway, she stayed four o'clock. Blah 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 blah. Like two weeks later, like it's like one in the morning or two in the morning or some nonsense like that, and she's on the phone. I could hear her on the phone. I'm like, who? The f-? I'm like, I wake up. I'm like, who the fuck are you talking to? And it was him. Um. And I was like, you know what? This this probably isn't going to work. And all blah 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 blah. So she moved out. She, we were living together. Moved out, <laughs> and she, like randomly, she goes, "I'm going to spend the summer in Michigan." I'm like, "Oh, uh, wow! You really like Michigan all of a sudden, do you?" That's where you live. <laughs> <laughs> right. So just so back up, you remind me again. How long had you been together with this lady? Uh probably over a little over a year. A little over wow. a year. Live, live, yeah, we lived together. Um, and then uh, that was it. Then, then, like, I, I was like, well, that's it. But, you know, just get your shit and go. I mean, I'm not going to, f- you know, just fucking get out. Um, so the, that summer, um, I just fucking went into a downward spiral and just fucking just, you name it. Um, and I really hated wrestling at that point because I, I was like, why would anybody – like, listen, I don't care if you fucking ha- hook up with my friend. I don't care if you hook up with fucking whoever. But, you know, it's the one thing that I really enjoy in life and you're going to fucking do that. You know what I mean? I was just like, ah, you know, that 
don't know. I just that left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, you know. So I didn't really watch wrestling for a long time, like a, like a like a decent period, just because I was like, what the fuck am I going to watch? And and uh, trust me, this was right when he was like super red hot. You know, he was like at the peak of his ECW craziness, um, all that. Um, like he wasn't like he was like like I believe the next show he was wrestling Cactus Jack. You know, he's, he was wrestling Mick Foley in like a barbed wire match. It was like a dream ECW match. It was like the next show this was going to happen. So after the summer, I, I don't know what I, – I really don't know what happened. But I hear a knock at my apartment door and I you know, I just kind of half hung over, half whatever, opened the door. And she's standing there in the fucking doorway. And she has my mail in her hand. And she's like, I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. How are you? I'm like, I'm good. Shut the door. <laughs> but then she kept coming back and kept coming back. Um, and then we tried it one more time. And I, was, and I was just like, you know what? Nope, it's not happening. But that led me to Cheryl. So that, that's, uh, that's, but that, yeah, that's, uh, that's my, that's my worst breakup story. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> that's a great story, though. It must have been very traumatic at the time. Like, it was how, horrible. How do you feel it, when you look back on it now? Did it still hurt? Um, like I haven't heard. I haven't heard from her. Um, my friend has. Um, no, I mean, like I just think. Like, here's here's what I hated. I didn't even hate the fact that it was. Um, you know that it was over. You know, if if it wanted to be over, it was over. That's okay, great. I think the the biggest two problems I had was it was it was something that like literally I had pro wrestling. You know that was you know well I wasn't even a huge hockey guy as much anymore. I don't know. I felt like that was I don't know. It just felt like of all things you did fucking wanted to do that. And then I guess the other thing was just the. Not the actual, the actual kind of under the curtain, you know, behind the curtain kind of stuff. You know, the the scheming and planning to do something. If you just want to do something, just do it. But don't fucking, you know, try and plan shit. You know what I mean? I that 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 drove that that to this day is just like a mm, okay. Um, I still have a little trouble getting over that. But eh, I mean, no, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> but it is one of those, like those one that one piece of pie that helps build who I am. Right, <laughs> that whole that whole that whole time period was a was a rock bottom <laughs> in so many fashions. But again, this, the 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 light at the end of the tunnel. I get to 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 uh, spend time with my now wife, who I've been together for twenty years. So, but yeah, that's my Sabu story. <laughs> So no Sabu matches for the Super Shakers Classic Watch. Maybe it's <laughs> no. a T-shirt. It's like Sabu stole my girlfriend T-shirts. Get them up with PWT. No, I really don't. And and I I don't I don't want that at all. But yeah, that's uh, that's 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 that was it. That's the uh, that's the infamous story. So why not? You know, we're not we don't have a lot of content, right? We don't have a lot of. Oh wait, and I forgot this, the the fucking cherry on top. My first pro wrestling match that that we worked was on a Dennis Carluzzo show that he headlined against Devin Storm and I'll never fucking forget dude I walk into the the dressing room 
with my bag and my friend, you know, we were, you know, and it's, again, it's our first show, so we're a little nervous to begin with. And the, I open the door, and the first person I see is him. And I look him right in the eye, and he knows who I am. And uh, he knows who I am because I was a, I was a fan of his. <laughs> um, he knows who I am. And I look right at him, and he looked right at me. And he do the old guy head nod. Hey, what's up? Gave me one of them. And that was it. <laughs> the first show. He's sitting there. <laughs> I was like, and I knew he was going to be there, but I was just like, I'm not letting this stop me. I'm doing what I do. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that story, because otherwise we'd be talking about Ibushi doing wrestling moves on his phone. <laughs> yeah, there's not really that much to talk about. Uh, we've got WWE erasing Roman Reigns from video packages. So yeah, obviously my my jumping logic is that he's on his way to New Japan too. What, what do you think of that? Roman in New Japan? I'd be up for that. I think he'd be brilliant. I would be, but didn't they... Um... Didn't WWE tweet out something like, watch all these Roman Reigns matches, your favorite Roman Reigns matches, just recently, right? You say that like there's any sort of cohesion between no. <laughs> decision-making in various branches of that company. That's true, too. That's a good point. Um, would I take Roman Reigns and G- I would. I would. I actually would. I mean, I don't... I... He should be the leader of Bullet Club. <laughs> no disrespect to Jay White, but can you imagine... Roman Reigns leading a faction with, you know, Gorillas of Destiny and Bad Luck Farley. That would kick ass. That would be amazing. I think it would be. I don't. I, I really wouldn't have a problem with that. I know people are, some people are swallowing down vomit right now, but I... He's I, good. <laughs> he's a good wrestler. He's, he's not awful. Yeah, go back. Watch the um, main event of WrestleMania 31, the, the first Lesnar match. It was awesome. Look, he'd have to kick it into high gear. Um, and find a level that he hasn't reached. Let's put it that way. For for to be considered a New Japan Pro Wrestling main eventer and and not get blasted on this fucking podcast. Um, are, are you suggesting that wrestlers are not performing at the peak of their powers <laughs> in WWE? You mean I, to say that Ricochet, uh-huh, who lost uh-huh. to Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne in four minutes and thirty seconds this week? is not performing as well as he was in New Japan. But he's happy, Joel. That's all that matters. <laughs> he's putting smiles on faces. Smiles on faces. Don't you understand? Don't you understand? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of... I think that's been... There is a theme of this podcast. It is, boy, I wish this guy could, could get out of this promotion so that they could go and spread their wings and fly. Um did you ever play you- Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes. So you know you get to the end of the levels and you defeat Dr. Robotnik and there'd be the big container full of all the animals. And then you yep. jump on the switch and it opens up and all the animals escape. That's yep. what I imagine WWE <laughs> to be like. Someone's got a couple of jump on the button, it opens up and all the wrestlers escape. Oh my god. There's a lot. There are a lot of... Uh... Young ladies and gentlemen that I would love to see freed, but um, I'll tell you what, I, I I didn't watch it, but I saw clips of that ridiculous Triple H celebration thing at the end, and boy, 
Getting old, getting old is not nice. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Vince, uh, Vince not looking like that young uh, guy interviewing Bob Backlund at ringside anywhere. That's for fucking sure. Uh, yeah. Look, I would take Reigns tomorrow. I would take him tomorrow. Again, he's there's there's a there's a definite level in his game that we would need to see. But imagine the buzz and the excitement and the I think it would be I think it would be massive. Massive. Um I'd be I'd be okay for that. I'll take anything at this point. A job I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I'll take anything at this point. Um, you know what? Let me take that back. I'll take I'll take them back in I, I like the way that they're doing this. I don't I don't like this half ass comeback. I don't like this empty arena shit. We talked about this a million times. I think they're doing the right thing by saying we're coming back when we're ready to come back and when, when the time is right to come back. Again, it hurts to see it tweeted out or, you know, in print or whatever that shows are canceled. We knew that they would. Um so what we've given analogy is like we we've been locked up in the chastity belt and it's not coming off. We don't know when it's coming off, but you know, this is not like a you're getting a half-assed hand job in a petrol station or something. No, it's staying on until it's ready to come off. And when it comes off, we're in for a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And this is going to be a good time. I, I cannot imagine just the release. Like, look, these workers and wrestlers, you got to think about them too. It's not like they're, there are guys that have contracts and the, the word on the street is that they're getting taken care of. But what about the guys that don't have contracts? Are they still getting taken care of? And what, And okay, so so just the in-ring people, you know, everybody seems to be focused on. Office staff, uh, ticket uh, people, uh, the people who book buildings, the, the, you know, the people who set up buildings, the road crew, the, you know, those type of people. Are they still getting taken care of? Um, again, the assumption is yes, but we don't know that for sure. And I and and I worry about those type of people as well, because those are the people that you aren't going to hear about, and those are the people that aren't going to be in the Observer, and those are the people that you aren't going to tweet about. But they depend on this company to run shows so that they can put food on their table. Um. I, th- those are the people that are in my mind a lot um, because that's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. Um, speaking of scary thoughts, what what's next on the docket? What's next to uh, – what's a Jeopardy next, I guess, Joel? Uh, is it Kizuna Road that comes after Best of Super Juniors, which leads into – no, no, it's no, I've got it wrong. It's Dominion next. So Best of Dominion. Super Juniors, then Dominion. Is that? Do you th- give me? Your, I mean, it's hard to say now. We don't know. Things change by the day. It seems like with this fucking virus. Sometimes you get good news and then it's hammered down. That's what I mean. Like, what is the value in me making that prediction? Based uh, it's on none. Because absolutely we absolutely no information. It's pointless. It is, but we got fucking an hour to go. <laughs> so we got we got four great wrestling matches to talk we about. Do. I was saying before. I, I, I said on Twitter that you know whilst I'm. Upset, you know, we're not going to get best of the super juniors, blah, 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 blah. I 
have really I, I'm appreciating this opportunity to just put everything on hold and fill in those huge gaps in my knowledge as a fan and dip into the archives and make use of my 999 yen per month and appreciate some classics which I, I probably would have never done otherwise when would I have thought mm, you know what I'm going to put on Fujinami versus Maeda today I would have never done that right. so I love that I'm getting the chance to watch these matches and talk about them with you and with our friends and understand things a bit better understand the landscape of New Japan and the, the pro wrestling scene and see how wrestlers that I might look at as a modern fan as you know like oh this washed up old dude and see them in their heyday and their best matches and see how current stars have evolved and you know change things and old moves they used to do and how they sort of tweak things slightly to improve themselves and what when I go back when New Japan does come back and I start watching the contemporary stuff, I think I'm going to appreciate it a lot more having had this chance to look back and enjoy it. So I just want to say this classic watch along, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's great. See, that's why you're the anchor of the show. That's why you are the anchor. Not to bring it down, but to, to settle things down. You are the stabilizing no, You've seen force. all this stuff before, haven't you? This is new for me and probably new for a lot of people listening to the show. I mean, I've seen it, but, like, again, I have fucking Alzheimer's, dude. I don't remember shit. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so some of this stuff is, like, it brings back memories of, oh, yeah, I, yep, I definitely let, remember this match. I remember watching this match. Um, but truth be told, you know, like, when we do the, the – like, I wasn't 100% sure that Maeda-Fujinami uh, match was the one that I wanted. Right, and it was. It, it turned out to be the one that I wanted because um, I kept waiting for the one spot that we'll talk about. Um, and the first time I saw it, but yeah, um, that that is a, that is a great attitude to have, um, and I th- I hope people can can take that attitude and and run with it because I think it's it's an important thing. Um, the one thing that I hate during this whole bullshit is. Uh, you know, the phony and the fake. Like, if I could have less of this, I want less of corporations and and businesses telling me how much this is a trying time and a difficult time, but they're there for me. I, I want less of that. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to jump out a window because uh, it's all lies. Um, I would I love it, but I would love more of this. Oh, oh the other thing I would not I want more of. Um, People posting things online about their exercise routines and, and all that shit and how they're staying in shape while I eat a whole entire fucking bunt cake <laughs> but, uh, and nine beers. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to wear pants after this. I'm just going to be very, very truthful. Um, I, I, trousers are going to be uh, a thing of the past for me, I think. I think, I think I'm going complete uh, athletic wear from now, now on forevermore. I'm not, there's no turning back. Um what I want more of is that, though, Joel. Is that okay? Let's 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 learn a little bit. Let's let's take the time to kind of delve into uh, some of the history and appreciate some of the people that got us to where we are right now. I like that. I like that attitude. Um, I guess for me, it's I don't know. There maybe there is a little bit of a stigma behind it. Of we've seen these before. These are old and blah 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 blah. But they're still great. Because I watch, you know, I we get the we we agree on the four matches and every week, 
And and I do get excited to be like, oh, I know that's going to be good. I remember that. Ah, uh, oh, I don't re- know if I remember that as well as I should. Let's. I can't. That might be a, a cool thing to say. And even then, I've watched more old wrestling than than I have in 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 a long time. I mean, I'm I'm in the midst of watching a, a Vader compilation. It's fucking awesome. Which led me to like random 1992 WCW matches with Vader with. Uh, listen to the fucking lineup that, that WCW had. They had Vader, the Steiners, Arn Anderson, which was who was still good, Bobby Eaton, who was still good, uh, Austin, Steve Austin's in the mix around here, Steamboat, Flair. Um, I I, I was watching uh, some sort of Kurosawa makes an appearance. Our old Nakanishi. Uh, <laughs> full head of hair, you know, just like, ah, oh, I remember this shit. Um, so that's good. Um, so yeah, I- I'm glad that you have that attitude, Joel, and I hope others have it, um, uh, to-, to use this time. There's so much good shit out there that I'm sure you haven't seen. Pick a guy, jump in, just find shit, go to YouTube, you know, dark hole, uh, go online. There's, there's, there's plenty of shit ways to find this shit. But yeah, and I'll take that over empty read wrestling any day of the yep. week. It's it's not even a question for me. I would agree. I would agree. The empty arena shit is not doing it for me. It's really not. Uh, but see, yeah, I would rather watch a fucking match from 1984 where a crowd is going batshit crazy uh, and guys are working their asses off and a match is tremendous, even out of context. Like I might not even remember the entire context of of. Okay, I'm assuming they're fighting for a championship here, but. Even that is better than empty arena shit. Absolutely. All right, then. So our first match that we're going to look at is from June 12, 1986 in Osaka Joe Hall. It's the IWGP Heavyweight Championship League. And it's a match between Tatsumi Fujinami and Akira Maeda. So you want to set the table for us. Why did yeah. you pick this match? And give well, us some context, please. I, again, I'm on this obsession with... Maeda in his time in New Japan, well as well as Nobuhiko Takada, because I just find them to be such interesting characters in pro wrestling. Um, for, again, Fujinami was always groomed to be the number two guy behind Anoki, and there were times where it felt like he might be number three, and there were times where it might feel like he might actually be the guy. But truth be told, there was always that glass ceiling of Anoki. And Maeda, who was brash and cocky, and because he knew, or he felt like he knew, that he could whip any one of these guys' asses, the fans felt like they... You know, or at least a portion of them felt like that might be the case and supported him. But then there were fans that hated him who, you know, they felt like he turned his back on pro wrestling. And, you know, he always had this little bit of a reputation of being a little bit of a wild card and a loose cannon. And, you know, between, you know, Look, when he's throwing those kicks, they're worked kicks. But some of them look a little dangerous, don't they, Joe? <laughs> they look dangerous. And you never know. He always seems to be walking that line of, 
okay, what the fuck was that kick? <laughs> you, know, you know, what are you, what are you thinking there? You're not being too safe here. Um, and that that factor, you know, played into his career. And '87, it 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 blew up, you know, with the kick uh, that he that he gave Choshu, which you know, again, he gets suspended. He's he's fucking on the shelf, and then they don't renew his contract, and then whoosh, the guy fucking explodes into the biggest star at the time, Japanese pro wrestling with UWF, selling out Tokyo domes and selling out shit left and right. Um. I don't know, he's, just, he's just one of those interesting characters. Like, it'll never happen, but if they had a dark side of the ring on fucking Akira Maeda, oh, how great would that be? Just an interesting dude. So anyway, anywho, this match, it kind of built up that that tension of, you know, Maeda being a guy who thinks he should be in a bigger spot that he than he is, and Fujinami, who's always the kind of the guy that's, I don't want to say protecting people from the top spot, but he's always that... I don't want to say he's Goto, but he's he's second. You know, he's always behind Anoki, it felt like. Um, and this was, I don't want to say a culmination of that, but a great match that turned into, again, another question mark on Akira Maeda. One thing I love about watching these old matches is you get a real sense of time. And this just seems so 80s to me, because like at the start when you load up on New Japan World, you've got... Like the ladies in the flash dance gear, yeah. which I absolutely loved. And then you're getting these two guys, and we're used to today, you know, we're in the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom 14 and seeing those amazing colourful entrances with guys like Okada, Naito, and JY, Ibushi, Osprey, Hiromu. But here, you've just got two guys in the iconic black trunks, which nowadays we associate with the Young Lions, but back then, you know, that is how they dressed. And so, yeah, like you say, you've got Maida, who's you know the big the cool charismatic guy and again it's it's that submission grappling style that was popular in the early 2000s the Enochia's era even the sort of stuff we see from like a Zack Sabre Jr. today so I was uh, discussing this with Manabu who is you know a real student of the game he he knows his stuff he's been a fan since day one and he's filling me in here so like the first UWF is like the early incarnation of this so you, you got Sayama, who's trying to educate fans about just, you know, martial arts, basic submission holes, things like that. So th- this is what we get in the match. It's mainly an exchange of submission holes, but you get these little bursts of speed in the match to, you know, break things up and add that pacing to it. And you know, a huge chance from the crowd, like the, the, the dragon chant for Fujinami. And, you know, initially you don't get the real baby face versus heel dynamic. It's not as clear cut at the start. It just feels more like a kind of combat sports presentation it's like two prize fighters who are trying to see who the, the toughest guy is right. and then the story within the match of Maeda working over the left leg of Fujinami and Fujinami's selling is just superb he really you know he looks like he's had an absolute kicking in this match and so Maeda's got I think is a karate background so he's like you say he's just laying in the kicks the head kicks and he's a guy who's influenced by you know guy pioneers like Sayama Fujiwara and it feels like you know, the early incarnations of a style that is even popular today. Like, I was thinking you could take this main event and plug it into, you know, a main event of, like, a Noah show and people would still love it. And, you know, when you look at this um, Fujinami against Maeda, it's it's like pro wrestling versus martial arts, isn't it? And I did wonder, watching it, how many people were sitting in that arena in Osaka Joe thinking that this was a real fight? You know, especially... 
watching things like UWF, like the little touches, like say I'm inventing the kick pad, so they make that incredible sound. And Manabu was telling me that he wanted to buy some uh, back then. It cost 20,000 yen, apparently, and one of his mates bought a pair of the kick pads. So, uh, yeah, the bulk of this match, it's largely two guys fighting for position, which might on paper sound pretty dull, but it gets a great reaction from the crowd. And like I say, interspersed by these high tempo periods of kicks. And uh, I, there was the moment with the Waki Gatame, what we know as the Fujiwara armbar, which created great drama because that's one of the holds that the crowd would actually recognize as dangerous because of uh, as it had been applied by Fujiwara. And like the first quote unquote wrestling move uh, of the match is like a German suplex. I think it's a good like 15 minutes or so into the match. And we get Maeda's signature move, the capture, the, the capture suplex. But Fans back then obviously not conditioned to recognising a particular move as a quote-unquote finisher, as we'd understand it. You know, that's a very pro-wrestling thing, a very modern-day pro-wrestling thing, like where you see a movie and like that's signalling the end of the match. But uh, here it, it's moves that seem like, you know, for us as a modern-day audience, the bread and butter of modern matches are the dramatic peaks of this match and they're used really sparingly. And I understand that at the time fans wanted... Inoki versus Maeda, but that never happens. And as you talked about with Maeda before, Inoki didn't want that match because Maeda, he's a, he's a loose cannon. He's a dangerous yeah. guy. Like you said, the shoot, shoot, uh, the shoot kick to Ricky Choshu. Uh, apparently there was an Andre the Giant match where he gave yep. him a really stiff kicking. And so towards the end of the match, we get the blood. And I'm not sure if the blood was accidental or not, but as always, blood always adds a ton of drama to a match. And you've got this great visual, both guys lying in the ring, covered in blood, which apparently the ref said was accidental. Uh, you think it was? Manabu told me. Well, Manabu told me the referee said in a book that it was accidental, and he, the referee, changed the finish of the match and told Maeda not to stand up so he could call it as a double KO. So you know, I don't know if that's legit or not. It's just what one person's saying. This turned out to be Tokyo Sports Match of the Year, and like it's quite an interesting finish getting a double KO. So you don't have a decisive winner, but it made Fujinami look. Like he survived Maeda. Like he got the moral victory. And Fujinami, he's like the heart and, and the story of this match. His selling was such a great foil for the the clinical sadism of Maeda, who's just got this like expressionless face for most of the matches he's trying to, you know, rip your arms off or just kick the shit out of you. And then at the end you've got the crowd showing respect for both men. It's not there's no sense of dissatisfaction with getting a, a non finish. It was a really satisfying finish in spite of the lack of a clear winner. And and I just think it's a great match that holds up today, even though this is, you know, thirty odd years ago. Yeah, I'm thrilled that you love it because, because yeah, I mean, I remember getting this this match on on tape and being really into it at the time, and then the finish kind of coming out of nowhere with the kick, and I and it's it, you if you blink you miss it because it's it's one of the what, a, a, you know spin kick or capo kick or you know rolling kick or whatever you want to call it in the corner, and it looks like it just nicks. Fujinami, but Fujinami instantly puts his hands up, goes down, and then the next shot you see is he is just covered, like just covered in blood on the on the one side of his face. And you are right, like half that audience, you know, it felt like you know it it, it was pretty split. It felt like people rooting for Maeda, people rooting for Fujinami, and the people rooting for Fujinami. If you know, it's kind of like. I mean, New Japan versus UWF or UWFI, I mean, they've milked that idea of who's better, you know, what style is better, uh, and, and people defending the honor of that style. 
And two, I guarantee you there were people that that you know those those Maeda fans that wanted it to break down that that go there. It's almost like you know people how they used to describe going to a Sex Pistols concert where you wanted the chaos to break out, like you wanted the fucking lads to start lobbing you know bottles and, and you know because you wanted you that that sense of danger and that sense of unpredictability and that sense of this could fucking you know explode at any moment and get real and and my guy Maeda's got a better chance of fucking surviving than your guy like they almost wanted it you know they kind of wanted that sense of danger um i'm glad that you like this match because this 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 is one of my favorites i was hoping this was the one that we picked i'm always unsure of dates but yeah it's it's um you know <sighs> It, it, I, I always think of those fucking kicks, and again, a lot of them are delivered in the chest and the arms, and you know, hitting them hard in safe spaces. But man, some of those kicks go astray, and they whack them right in a fucking mush. And oof, there were a couple there, and, and again, here's one that went got away. And it did look like the finish was impromptu, like it, it was it was done on the, on the spot. Um, I don't. I wonder what the finish would have been. Um, and you're right. The fans were weren't didn't seem like too disappointed in that. But there were times where they they were teasing those countouts, and they got back in the ring, and those fans were like, "Yes, thank God!" You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna wimp out and do a a bullshit countout finish. Uh, yeah, this match ruled. I loved it. So hopefully, you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. So we're going to fast forward five years uh, later after that. So June 26, 1992 in Nippon Budokan. We have the IWGP Tag Team Championship match with Big Van Vader and Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow versus Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner. So um, this one, again, I'm talking to Manabu, who this is one of his favorite matches. And he was actually there in um, Budokan Hall at the time. So to to give the backstory, Bigelow had, had debuted in New Japan in 1987 and he got a really heavy push, and he beat Fujinami and Maeda. So that's quite unusual, seeing you know what big stars they were back then, uh, especially a guy like Maeda who didn't usually eat pins. So he, then he left New Japan to go to WWF. As people know, he, he debuted at the Survivor Series. He also got a big push in WWF. You know, he's working with guys like Hulk Hogan. He was the last surviving member of the team. He you know beating guys like One Man Gang, King Kong Bundy. Then when he went back to New Japan, it's like he's lost his spot now. So you've got Big Van Vader's already debuted, and then Bigelow is putting over guys like Hashimikov in his opening match, um, the ex-Yokozuna Kitao. So he's now being used to put over the new guys, so, you know, even the guys like Scott Norton and, and Tony Harm. So, uh, and Vader was also pinned by Harm. So you've got two guys who were big single stars, but now are kind of falling down the, the rankings a bit, so they've been put together in the tag division. And uh, the match against Doom at the Tokyo Dome in '91, and, and apparently these guys have said they hate each other, which is why they make a good tag team. And so, you know, back then in in the late '80s, like the Road Warriors would have been number one team, like you know, seen as really cool. But the Steiners are seen as real athletes comparatively. So they got their amateur background. So you know, a lot of people thinking, oh, well, these guys are better than the Road Warriors. It's like a a new style, a new type of wrestler. So they were incredibly over with the fans. And apparently the fans really wanted uh, Road Warriors versus Hanson and Brody. That was like the big dream match of that era. So this is a kind of the, the dream match of the next era. So you, two really strong guys against a quality tag team. So you know, think of it like a modern day 
Golden Lovers versus Young Bucks kind of scenario. So you got the Steiners who've studied the New Japan style a lot. You know, you can see that in the matches. We we looked at one of them before the um, the Hase and uh, Sasaki match. Yep. And in this match, I think it was interesting seeing what a ring general Bigelow is because it seemed to me that he controlled everything and Vader seems pretty pissed off about the fact that he's having to lose to these WCW guys and there's even tension like, like I said before but between Vader and Bigelow you know Vader taking Bigelow's spot and um, there was a lot and, and uh, Manabu speaking personally he said he was more excited about this tag match than the rest of the card and I went to look at the cards and it's a pretty stacked show by all accounts so I'm just going to get Masters of Wrestling so on this show we've got um El Samurai against Jushin Thunder Liger for the junior heavyweight title. We've got a singles match between Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke Sasaki. We've got a heavyweight title match between Ricky Choshu and Masahiro Chono. So even in what I think looks you know, like a pretty stacked lineup, a lot of people were most excited about seeing this, this dream tag match between the, these four Westerners. So yeah. you can you get a sense of how hyped up the crowd were and how why it's so noisy in Budokan Hall when these guys come out and you know the huge reactions they're getting for everything and I actually watched the TV Asahi version of this and there was a great interview before with both guys where you got Masa Saito as the interview and he's doing the translating as well and uh, one of the Steiners is like oh I, I want to get the WIGP tag title so that's definitely <laughs> worth a watch I might try and tweet that out later but like I say like the Steiners get this absolutely massive reaction from the fans and just little touches like the presentation back there the camera following them from backstage again it gives that combat sports feel to the match and even just when Vader and Bigelow get in the ring and they start running the ropes that's building up excitement the fans pop for that because it's like looking at a couple of cage gorillas who are about to get into a, a big scrap and I spoke a few weeks ago about how uh, Great Sasuke circles the ring the way he moves and Bigelow's got a, a similar uh, very unique style of moving around the ring and just so athletic for a, a big guy like incredible ends of Giri for a big man and just everything he does gets a great reaction he's just outstanding in this match and like you can tell early on that Bigelow's going to be taking the bulk of the offense from the Steiners and they are uh, uh, Bigelow and Vader establishing themselves as the dominant champions early on but then the story of the match being the superior uh, uh, synergy and the teamwork of the Steiners who know each other better is going to overcome the individual power of Bigelow and Vader who've got this tension between them and there's just there's something visual like about just seeing these four huge guys in the ring that's really kind of viscerally appealing just so much meat in the ring four massive dudes who are about to batter each other and and Vader, for his part, hugely popular as well. You see the way he's working the crowds and, you know, a guy who left a big cultural impact in Japan. You know, you can go and see in the 90s, like, the video games, like the beat-em-up games, you know, games like Fatal Fury, where you've got characters created in those games who are, like, tributes to Vader at the time. So and his corner punches have got a lot of attention this week because they look really snug. Like, I know there was some drama on Twitter about Joey Ryan saying that, oh, look at this guy abusing and taking advantage of the jobbers which for what I understand is not really the case like it looks like he's really you know laying in and, and working stiff but apparently not it's just you know goes to speak to what a great worker he was that he made it look so vicious and and Vader his big power spots they're they're the punctuation points like the exclamation points in this match to to the narrative because Rick Steiner's bumping makes Vader look like an absolute monster but then in yeah. turn a minute later 
when Rick Steiner gets the backdrop of the German suplex, it gets an incredible response from the crowd because of the minutes that preceded it where uh, he, he is making Vader look like the monster. And there, there's a great moment where uh, Scott Steiner sort of stumbles. He's trying to launch himself off the top rope and he falls. Apparently, the, the camera didn't catch Bigelow shaking the, the top rope. So that was intentional. You got Bigelow shaking the top rope to make Scott fall. I mean, it wasn't picked up on that by the camera. And I think, you know, as we talked about before with the Liger versus Sasuke match, that's an underused spot of guy sort of slipping on the top rope because it looks like an accident. It's always got people yeah. questioning whether or not it was a real botch. So, and just the way, like, you have Scott Steiner literally bouncing when Bigelow suplexes him, it's just so impactful. And again, cool moves that you don't see these days, like the butterfly backbreaker done from Bigelow. And great spot where Scott Steiner's trying to lift Bigelow, just collapses under his weight. And it's just remarkable the way that Vader and Bigelow, two guys who visually look quite similar in terms of their build, but they work such a different style. Like the way Bigelow moves how he runs the ropes, his sentons, it's just so dynamic for, for the size of him and so much fun to watch. So I would love to watch a Bigelow singles match somewhere down the line in New Japan and there's that great spot later on where Bigelow catches Rick, drops him face first on, on the top rope. It just, it looks brutal and just the, the pacing and the way it all connects together is incredibly fluid and, and the speed of the closing exchanges, the energy for that late on in the match is remarkable. The crowd are stamping their feet. like it, It's literally a thunderous response to what they're seeing. And even I thought the ref bump at the end looked, looked quite good. It wasn't like a cheesy ref bump that we might see these days. And so you've got Bigelow getting the visual pin, uh, to I guess, to, to protect them, given you know the politics in the match. But um, Scott Steiner stopping Vader from making the save by flying across the ring. It was just a really dramatic conclusion to the match. And Vader's looking quite pissed afterwards. I... I heard that he left New Japan because there was a financial problem, him you know, not coming to Japan and not getting paid. So he was headhunted by UWFI. Bigelow went back to WWF. So this, I think, was the last tag match for them. And the Steiners soon after lost the title to Norton and Harm. They ended up back at WWF. So watching this match, it feels like the end of an era with yeah. these four guys in New Japan. Yeah. And, and, and you know, if you want to put a circle on a calendar of... Maybe not every one of those guys, but it might be the beginning of the uh, the, the decline. This this was peak Steiners, it's, and they were over. They were over huge. Uh, I, I would say even in WCW, um, and New Japan just took them and fell in, and the fans fell in love with them. They never like go through that archive. I don't go through. I don't old TV shows or whatever. Find any footage you can of them in New Japan. You're not going to be disappointed because they're all like that. <laughs> like they, they all have that similar feel. It's funny that you mentioned that that spot from Scott Steiner that when he fell off the the, uh, the ropes because I even rewatched it and didn't notice that you know the, the ropes were being and it looked like he just stood on the top rope and clumsily fell off. Lost his balance and fell off. Um, because as 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 weird as this sounds, you know, as I'm watching, as I talked about before, I'm watching like '92 WCW stuff, and uh, there was a spot where he kind of did that too. He didn't fall off, but he lost. He was losing his balance 
you know, standing on the top rope. Like it was, it, he could have gone either way pretty quick. Like it looked legit. It didn't look like it was part of a match. Like he was losing his balance on the top rope. And then I saw that spot and I was like, my God, can this guy stay off the top fucking rope? He obviously does not have the balance to do this. But th- th- you made mention that it was Bigelow shaking the rope. So I thought it was an interesting thing. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I mean, we could watch we could watch a collection of Steiner brother matches from New Japan, and I don't think you'd be disappointed in any of them. I feel like this is peak New Japan tag too. Like this is they had a, they had a lot of interesting tag teams. They did re- rely heavily on the beef, but you have guys like the Steiners and Bigelow, um, Vader, guys who aren't immobile. That's important. Right. These guys can move, and at this time they were at the peak. They they could move at a great clip. Um, what year was this again? What what year did this take place? This was ninety two. Okay, so let's think about this right and the greatness that this was from a tag pr- perspective. Know that the, in their minds, I'm sure that locker room knows the going on of all Japan and how their tag team situation and their tag matches um, are starting to become legendary. So I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to find out if there was that inner locker room. Oh, I see what they're doing over on that side. Let's let's see what we can do on this side. Um, because those Misawa and Kawada and, and Gordy and Williams and all that stuff. I mean, that's whew. imagine doing a fucking podcast reviewing those shows. Jesus Christ, it's tremendous. Um, and I think one of those dream matches. You know, you talked about that Hanson Brody Road Warriors in the eighties for 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 many a Japanese fan. You know, I can't believe we're talking a lot of WCW, but you know, a dream match that was going on in WCW at that time was Steiners, New Japan guys, against Gordy and Williams, all Japan guys, all Japan tag team champions. And there are matches between these two WCW-wise, which were were really good, really great. Um, Gordy and, and, and Doc were the WCW tag team champions. So... The miracle of violence connection. Uh, so at this, that, that had to be protected to a certain degree because Doc and Gordy, you know, they couldn't look like fucking, you know, jabrones against the Steiners because they were New Japan guys and vice versa. So it was an interesting time. So even when that match was going on between Bigelow and Vader, you know, they're going back home, Steiners, you know, they're having matches with, all Japan's tag champions um, in WCW. So just a little added extra spice to that story. So interesting time, man. Early 90s. It was, it, there, there was a lot of stuff that didn't stick in WCW. But, but you know, looking back on it, I might, I might be romanticizing it a little bit. But there's a lot of good shit there. And that's one of them. Steiners against Gordy and fucking Williams. That is good shit as... Vince would say. Our next match is on November 11th, 2007, 
at Sumo Hall. It's the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Hiroki Goto. And I picked this match because I, I'm trying to pinpoint the moment where Goto was at his peak and to, to sort of try and understand why and when he lost his credibility with a lot of fans. And I guess a, a lot of people would say when he was losing to a lot of Noah guys, you know, guys like Sugiura, he got, got to often ate the pins in those matches where, you know, people like Tanahashi Nakamura would beat those types of wrestlers who were coming in. So at this time in 2007, Goto had just returned from his excursion in Mexico and he was a junior guy, a guy like Sho would be a good comparison, good worker, but relatively small. And from what I understand, Japanese guys usually lose weight there because of the food. But Goto put on 10 kilograms, so he came back, he became a heavyweight. And he beat Tenzan to establish himself, and he was part of the Rise stable. And by all accounts, just seemed like a future star there. And, and at the time, this is like the dark era of New Japan. It's not so popular at the time. So I think the worst attendance is like 6,500. Apparently, the real attendance is more like 2,000. Uh, because you can see when you're watching this, a lot of boxes are empty. Like they've got the curtain across to, to cover them up. And just the perception at the time is that you know pro wrestling is fake mma is real so uh manabu gave me some translations from uh this this book about tanahashi and nakamura so tanahashi for his part he's a guy who went to uh, a relatively prestigious university by all accounts which is quite unusual he's clearly an intelligent guy you know if you compare with other wrestlers like naito didn't go to university uh okada didn't even go to high school but um so Tanahashi was at university and he went to the Takara versus Muto Tokyo Dome match which I think we reviewed a few weeks ago next year he tried out for New Japan but he failed he wanted to try again he went to the G1 in 96 uh, had another chance in 97 and passed and 5 out of the 40 applicants passed and apparently the examiner then was Choshu he said to Tanahashi you have to graduate from university first so he was studying a lot of the time debuted in 1999 already over 100 kilograms and he's got the amateur wrestling background and at the time then, New Japan was losing popularity due to things like, you know, the Sakuraba against Gracie Pride match, the uh, mixed martial arts getting really popular in Japan at the time. And then in 2002, of course, there's the scandal with Tanahashi where he was stabbed by his girlfriend. Apparently the story goes that he had sex with her and then dumped her immediately afterwards. So for a guy <laughs> who's supposed to be that intelligent, that's a pretty questionable move. Uh, yeah. it, it was an assistant at the New Japan TV show. So he's a bit of a playboy. Apparently when he w- went to uh, watch these shows in the past, he didn't even book a hotel room. He was just chatting up girls so that he'd have somewhere to stay. But surprisingly, he wasn't fired. And then he won his first title in 2006. So there was the whole kerfuffle with Brock Lesnar, who had the title and wouldn't give it back. And so from that point, it's like a turning point for Tanahashi. He changed his finisher from the sling blade to the high fly flow. And he, by his own admission, he wants to be like Shawn Michaels. And he introduced his catchphrase of, Aishtemas, I love you, which got no reaction at first, but he kept at it. And he did lots of promotion, like small local radio, which was quite unusual. You know, like the Three Musketeers back then. Never did things like that. So Tanahashi really trying to put himself and, and the product out there, which no one else had really done up to that point. So that you know brings sets the table for this match between these two guys. And just watching it, it's just different comparing it to the, the the wrestlers that we know now, the Goto and Tanahashi of 2020. So Goto, he's got different music, he's got different gear, and uh, Tanahashi, you know, not really so popular at the time as he is today. And you can see in this match he's leaning into that with you know like the slap and 
holding on to the leg locks despite rope breaks, referee telling him to break it up and the face stomps, just the little disrespectful touches there that shows that, you know, you can see that Shawn Michaels influence for him. So, you know, he, he's projecting himself like a, like a superstar, like he's, you know, above all this. And so the story of the match, Goto establishes the more powerful wrestler. You've got just little spots like the beefy Lariat over the barricade. So Tanahashi realizing he needs to change his approach and he starts going off to Goto's left knee. So even this early on in Tanahashi's career, he's, st- he's still got a keen sense for telling a story in the ring. And that's one of the things I love about Tanahashi, that whatever match he's in, any singles match, like five minutes in, you know what the story of the match is and it, it transcends all language barriers. You could just, you watch it and you know exactly what the story of the match is and it, I always find it compelling. And like, it, again, he's telling this story. He's going for the forearm exchange with Goto and then he eats a big forearm and then he realises like he wants none of that and he starts going back to the knee again. And it's really nice fluid transitions sling blade into the dragon sleeper and the thing you know I, you know, I watched this match because i wanted to focus on goto but just the thing that's standing out the most for me when i saw it is tanahashi his cockiness his flair the way he works the crowd before doing a senton yelling to the crowd before going for the apron suplex just the little touches like that that show he's an absolute professional and he's a really good foil for goto here as you know goto playing the straight man but it seemed to me watching this goto never really evolved or, or had those layers or, or those subtleties and nuances to him and you know you you could argue that this was Goto's peak in terms of ring ring performance I wouldn't say that personally I think he's had better matches than this but this is certainly one of his best and I don't know about Goto maybe he he is happy with his spot on the cards you know he's not he's not a guy who I think is phoning it in per se but it seems sometimes that he's comfortable so okay coming back to this match there are like the touches of Ishi Shibata with the slaps, the no saying the suplexes and stuff, which is something you don't often see, uh, especially in like Tanahashi matches these days. And Goto showing passion and fire again that we, we rarely see from him. You, you maybe get this kind of passion from Goto once a year or so. And so in this match, Goto gets so fired up that he, he loses his head somewhat. Uh, he pushes over the ref, he's getting angry, and then Tanahashi's able to recover. He takes control of the sling blade. And then what I thought was really interesting here, I saw you see Tanahashi doing a delayed deadlift German suplex, which is a very popular move in a lot of Japanese promotions these days. So I'm going to circle back, and we've got a question about this deadlift German delayed deadlift German suplex later on. But I did notice Tanahashi using it here, and he kicks out of Goto's Shoten finisher. So Goto had to then evolve it to the Shoten Kai later on in his career, and then just like a little thing, Tanahashi going for the cheeky inside cradle while Goto's posturing to the crowds. Just a, one of those little great story beats that Tanahashi, he's the more crafty guy. He's the more experienced pro who can keep his head in these high-pressure title matches. And there was a, a, a nasty botch later where Tanahashi dropped on his face. And then in the closing stretch, we get Tanahashi doing his high-fly flow, but this time he does it onto Goto's knees to weaken them even further, going into the Texas Cloverleaf. So, uh, again I love the fact that with these matches it's not all, you don't always get the same finish it's not like oh these are my this is the closing stretch these are my signature moves bang it's over I like the fact that he's mixing it up and it made sense within the context of this story to have him do the high fly flow to the knee and then go for the submission which is something that you know, Robbie Eagles did in his debut match in the um, Super Junior Tag League last year when he got the submission win over Liger he did uh, I can't remember exactly what it was was it a 450 splash or something onto Liger's leg and then went into the Ron Miller special to get the submission so I just love the just the little changes like that where you adapt uh, moves and things that the audience are 
normally expecting things to play out and then you subvert them and, and you sort of modify it slightly so it fits in with the story of the match so just outstanding performance from both guys and, and I, I went in incredibly impressed by Goto I think this is a really amazing performance by him but I just I left it being more impressed by Tanahashi his storytelling and the layers to his performance so I thought this was great what were your thoughts on the match yeah I liked it a lot um one thing that I left this match with though um if you took a a flag and and made a mark on this match and then try to remember okay some of the stuff that came after this match does it feel like to you and this was the question that i had like i said when i when i turned this off like it feels to me like with tanahashi i could see this match and then see the progression of him even becoming better than what he was in that match. And I don't know if I can say the same for Goto. Like, I don't know if I could take this match and then chart his his career afterward and, and rewatch Goto matches and be like, oh, he's, he's I don't want to say improved, but he's, like, it, it feels like I could take this match and put this in 2008 and 2000 and, you know, two, you know <laughs> 9, 10, 11. Whereas Tanahashi, I don't know if even necessarily, like, I just feel like he had other levels that that he rose to past this match. Yeah, that's exactly my point, Damon. You know, you watch Goto's best matches over the last couple of years. You know, I'm thinking, like, the. I thought the Kenta match at Wrestle Kingdom was really good. I thought his Mm. Suzuki match at Wrestle Kingdom 12 was outstanding. But if you compare that to this match he's actually doing fewer matches in the more recent uh, sorry not fewer matches fewer things there's less variety in the more recent matches than he's showing back in 2007 it's like he started doing less things than than he was this early on in his career yeah less things and and like again i feel like take this match and put this in in 2019 and it would fit it would be a goto match right (laughs) <laughs> but but it doesn't but I don't know if I could say the same if I could take say okay Tanahashi take this match and plop it in in 2018 I think we would have went to 2018 um so that was one thing the I, I did at any point and it might have been intentional at any point did it feel like to you that Tanahashi was over the top to push the pro wrestling narrative because of all the things that you mentioned. Like, did it feel like he, at any point, he was over the top pro wrestler to you? Uh, no, not not to an egregious extent. No, I thought I found it quite compelling. Like I said, with Goto being as straight laced as he is in this match, as the sort of archetypal uh, fighting spirit guy. I thought Tanahashi played off that really well. Right. I don't know. There was a time, and I'm trying to rec- remember the exact time when I felt this, but it just felt like, okay, we get it. <laughs> you know, you know. I don't know. There was a, there was a moment where it was like, okay, it just felt like he, his goal in this match was to uber promote pro wrestling being pro wrestling as opposed to having uh, 
I don't know. Maybe he was cons- again. I'm I'm speaking as if I'm, I'm I'm in his head, but maybe he just it felt to me like he felt like he needed to show extra layers of pro wrestling as opposed to maybe what was popular at the time um, with MMA. And I think that at points it felt like it was a little bit gratuitous. If that's the word I'm looking for. Like it just felt like okay, we get it. You you you're a pro wrestler, and you want to be a you know you want pro wrestling to survive. Um, and I'm not saying he came out to with a fucking gobbledygooker, but 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 there there are times. And again, maybe it's just the the match, and maybe it's just the I don't know. It just felt like he was pro wrestler Hiroshi Tanahashi, and not just Hiroshi Tanahashi. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, but I guess just given the circumstances and the way, like you mentioned, Tanahashi wanted to dis- differentiate and distinguish it from mixed martial arts, that, uh, yeah, maybe he was just being trying to be extra loud with that. And like I say, maybe do, do the Shawn Michaels comparisons ring true for you? Like the way he's kind of hamming it up to that extent? I mean... It's well documented that he was heavily influenced, and he and he used that, you know, Michaels in particular as an influence, and he's always been one of those guys that he's looked to as being a a model pro wrestler. Um, I think there's some elements of that. Um, I don't, you know, he's not fucking, you know, coming out the sexy boy or anything like that, but. It's always been well documented that he appreciates the fact that pro wrestling is pro wrestling. Um, and the strengths of pro wrestling don't necessarily have to do with beating the shit out of each other. Um, again, I don't I, – it's nothing that's that's too out of control crazy pro wrestling. You know, it's not fucking – you know, he's not doing cinematic pro wrestling at this point. Um, but it just felt like there was just an extra added layer that seemed a little bit obvious to me that he was, again, that pro wrestling push um, that he could have eased off the gas pedal. A little bit for me in this match. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that's an interesting take on it. Uh, let's move on to our final match then, which is Kazuna Road 2013, uh, July the 5th in Tokyo Korakuen Hall. That's an interesting thing, Damon. All four of our matches come from different venues this week. we got the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match with Prince Devitt against Gado. Now, you picked this one, Damon, I believe. So, uh, interesting story here. You, you mentioned something. So, um, am I right? Tell me if I got this right. So, at Dominion... We have Makabe versus Okada, with Okada defending his title. And so this is when Bullet Club was relatively new, and Devitt had gone through best of the Super Juniors undefeated, but with lots of cheating, which upset a lot of purists. So not actually dissimilar to Jay White, but he established himself as a fan favourite before his heel turn, unlike White. So uh, Devitt was the IWGP Junior Champion, as well as best of the Super Juniors winner. he beaten Tanahashi... Um, had now challenged Okada at the end of Dominion. But Okada's condition was that he had to put up his junior title, but Okada said that he's a heavyweight and can't challenge, but Gedo is going to challenge for it. And Gedo had quite an interesting reaction to this, didn't he? Yeah, he shit his pants. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> what? 
what am I doing? Uh, I l- l- when we talk about pro wrestling and and some of the the the, the funny twists and turns that I I don't know I, I enjoyed this this whole idea of having to get through Ghetto to to get to Okada, um, and if you know that when you have that element plus the addition of Bullet Club who you know are trying to establish themselves as you know heels and cheaters and will do everything anything they can to win. Um, I don't know. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of 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 all people, Ghetto being the gatekeeper, so to speak. Um, again, the beginning of you know Carl Anderson, uh, seeing him again, and Fale, and I always was a huge fan of the fact that Fale would carry on his shoulders Devitt to the ring. I always thought that was an amazing entrance. Loved it when they did that. Um, but I just thought this was a little bit of a lighter, fast-paced, uh, you know, shenanigan-filled, uh, fun pro wrestling match in front of a hot corking crowd that won again in the worst way, just to have it happen. Um, yeah, I thought I thought this was a, like a nice palate cleanser, so to speak. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, Ghetto's actually said that this was the best match of his career in his book, so... He's in great shape, which really st- stood out to me. He's like you know better shape than he was in 1994, yeah. and a, you know a lot of support for Gado from the crowd because of his association with Okada, who is turning into a fan favorite there. But it, interestingly, like early in the match, Gado slaps Devitt, but the crowd are cheering, which is quite unusual because usually, whoever you are, if you act, if you if you behave like a heel, then the crowd will treat you like one. But just the way that Gado is like baiting Carl Anderson. And Carl Anderson's just great at selling that frustration. Yeah, and that yeah, plays on later on in the match in a really great way. Um, I mean, did you enjoy Devitt more as a heel or a face? Uh, as a heel. I th- I, I, like, in the beginning... So, understand that this was not anything that was necessarily new when it came to cheating, especially foreign... Pro wrestlers. It was that's not that's not a new concept, but it was so over the top. It felt like at times that, and the idea of it was sort of new. Um, the the absolute over the topness of of the interference and the cheating and then and again Devitt kind of going through best of the super juniors, um, especially him. Because at the time, I don't think people necessarily expected that from him. Um, I liked it. It got old quick. You know, again, I'm, I'm, I don't like to see too much bullshit in my pro wrestling, mind you. At the time, I, I don't remember hating it. But, but as, as you well know, that that kind of shit can get old quick. Um, but yeah, but the, everybody in that crowd just wanted. To get, you know, some payback on Devitt. And that's what a heel does, right? I guess, you know, that's what a heel does. But everybody in that crowd wanted, you know, get to fucking get the win. To to, 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 to put one over, finally, on a guy that's been fucking over everybody for, for months. Yeah, and also Ghetto wasn't in Best of the Super Juniors that year. So I don't know if they were intentionally keeping him out so they could line up this match. 
But uh, anyway, as the match plays out, the exposed turnbuckle plays into the match quite heavily, and the story of Ghetto outsmarting Devitt, going after his knee, and yeah, like a chair shot, getting cheers and applause from the crowd. It's just really bizarre, very unusual. And I think watching this, I got shades of Jay White from the way Ghetto was wrestling, like sneakily getting the advantage, going oh, after yeah. a body part. So I think there's a good chance that Ghetto is influencing Jay White in the way that he wrestles. Um, I would agree just, with that. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, the the stomp, like the reverse bloody Sunday, very crisp, very well executed from Devitt. Uh, Gado kicking out of secondary moves. I thought that was quite interesting as well. So obviously they've gone some way to make him look like a credible challenger, even though you might not necessarily believe that he was going to win the title. They wanted to make him look good in the process. You got a ref bump, a low blow, and the ghetto clutch for like a 2.999 count, which is a, a little sequence that Taichi has obviously uh, reappropriated. And then Okada saving Ghetto from Farley and Carl Anderson got a huge reaction as well. Um, it was playing into earlier with Ghetto winding them up. So really dramatic near falls like the frog splash. And yeah, Carl Anderson eats that chair shot towards the end of the match, and that's that's paying off the earlier baiting that Ghetto was doing. And yeah, it's like you said, really fun match. Make Ghetto look competitive without making Devitt look bad. And there was some uh, trophy, which I, I, I don't know what that was. Maybe you could shine some light on that. But, uh, could, could that have been the best of Super Juniors trophy? I don't know. But uh, anyway, I just I really enjoy the whole story of, like, if you want a shot at me, you have to go through one of my boys. Like, that always works for me because it's very, I guess it's quite video gamey, which is why it probably resonates with me. But, uh, yeah, uh, Devitt got the title shot against Okada two weeks later, which, you know, maybe is a match we'll discuss in the future. But, yeah, really fun little match and really hot crowd crack and what more do you want yeah i agree 100 percent um a quick easy uh super sweet <laughs> um, um little dish yeah no doubt and and you're right and again this is one of the main reasons why we watch this is a guy who quite honestly nobody w- would really expect at that point in time for him to get a win over devitt but again, made to look competitive, made to look like he has a shot um, to at least give people uh, moments of doubt against Devitt. And, with, and at the same time, Devitt doesn't look like a boob doing it. Um, I'll tell you a comparison that this reminds me of, and you tell me if I'm off base. I mean, situations are a little bit different, but the basic formula the same. Rocky Romero and El Fantasma. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see that. You know, the experienced pro, but who's also the underdog against the hot, cocky, brash, young Bullet Club star. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, to me, that's, it seemed like a, 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 the same formula that works. Again, different, um, you know, different ways to get there, right? Dif- different path mind you, with the uh, idea of getting past him to get to Okada, but um, the, the match formula and, and, and how that, that was laid out seemed like it was, it was uh, in the same boat, right? So uh, learning from history, once again, is uh, key. So, yeah, I like that. I like this match a lot. Again, just a nice... I watched this this match. This wasn't the last one I watched. This, I watched. I, I think I watched this one in the middle, and it was nice because it was just like the nice palate cleanser a little little uh little sugary treat to go on to a, a main dish match so uh good stuff there i like that one a lot 
All right, let's dip into the questions then. And this one, I touched on it earlier about Tanahashi's uh, delayed deadlift German suplex. So Manabu asks, I checked recent All Japan, DDT and no matches, evaluated like five star, but I couldn't enjoy it at all. One thing I noticed, Mihara, Takeshita and Kiyomiya all using the spot where they're slowly holding the arms before suplex, which they stole from Tanahashi. What do you think of that? I think they're hugely overrated and not the same level as New Japan. So what do you think of these guys and uh, particularly the use of that spot? I don't have a problem with people using spots associated with other wrestlers. Like, I think it's a weird idea of wrestlers owning moves. I don't know. I I, I think maybe but just the fact that there's so many of these, you know, hot young ace types using the same move, I just find that a bit strange. Yeah, I mean, it shows a lack of creativity for for sure. Number one, number two, it's I hate to say it, but a little formulatic. I can't even say the word, but you know what I mean, right? That it works for one guy, so it'll work for everybody. You know, it's kind of like music where you have the one hot band that explodes, and then you have fifteen thousand carbon copies and they get worse and worse each one you see um i see the point i don't lose sleep over it but yeah it's look imitation is the sincerest form of flattery um but yeah it, the, the more the more <laughs> the more trickle down it gets the the less impact it does have i, I will say that Okay, let me dig into the Discord then. Uh, while I'm firing that up, uh, I'm going to ask a Twitter question. Uh, Sandre the Giant at Downward Spiral says, what is the most iconic New Japan hair choices? Is it Tenryu's Jerry Curl, Hashimoto's <laughs> Fat Elvis, Hase's Porno Stash, or Nakanishi's Magnificent Mullet? Nakanishi's Mullet it was pretty great, only because that's fresh in my head. The Kurosawa, him coming out with that, looking like 1985 Bono. Um, what else we got on that list? Hashimoto. I loved Hashimoto. I love that look, that chubby little face of his. Kill somebody. Those chops. Um, the Tenru curl is pretty great, though. Uh, both all of them. Are good. Those are some pretty good picks, actually. Those are some pretty good. That's a good job by uh. What was it? Sandre the Giant? Is that who I'm talking about doing here? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's very creative. I'm going to go uh, only because it's new. I'm going to go Mullet Nakanishi. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the Discord. Okay. Uh, Jacob says, What is your guys' opinion on Michael Elgin's run in New Japan? I kind of written him off because I didn't enjoy a lot of his stuff he was doing in the company leading to him leaving and there was also the scandal or whatever. I don't remember the details. But I've been watching through some 2015 New Japan and I have to say he's impressing me a lot more than I thought he ever would. And it reminds me of that great moment we had on this show where you were forcing me at gunpoint to say who I thought was better, Elgin or Sanada, which was one of say my it, Joel. highlights of this show. <laughs> say the words, You Joel. know it's true. <laughs> That was a good moment. Um, I, I look. I liked Michael Elgin's run. Um, I really did. I I I thought in ring, he was he was really good. Um, matches with Omega, matches with Naito, matches with Ishii. Um, I, I look. I I I thought it was good. They gave him the fucking Intercontinental title. I mean, I I don't think that that was. 
by accident. Um, yeah, I think um, it's, it, it, it amazing, it's pretty amazing how he f- fell from grace pretty quickly um, within the company. And I think that's that's over and above the um, the the stuff that happened here in the states, but. I like this run in New Japan, Joel. I really do. And I know people don't like him personally. I I thought in ring he was he was solid. Solid and and at moments he had some really fucking great matches. Yeah, the Naito match here. New beginning twenty seventeen, I wanna say that was outstanding. I think he's a guy who Pete really high and I, I enjoyed having him in the G1 I enjoyed his style yep. of matches you know very sort of beefy hard hitting big power moves just that's the kind of style that resonates with me so I thought he was really good uh, I thought it was a shame that he left so uh, those are my thoughts on it um, Loose Explosion Fart Cloud says Damon do you think Mike Awesome might be one of the most underrated big guys of all time I'll concede there are some Ooh. things that were missing from his work but I think if he wouldn't have gotten more uh, run in Japan post WWE I think he would have gone down as a certified uh, Gaijin legend what say you? Yeah, I remember seeing him live a few times at uh, ECW shows. Yeah, he was really good. He, he and, and he was good in the sense of, Joel, this guy was a, was a monster, and he's doing, you know, dives to the floor, and, you know, you know, crazy high spots shit, um, uh, and being a monster. Um, he had matches with, uh, was it uh, Masato Tanaka in ECW that were fucking brutal i mean listen people squint and talk about those chair shots now to the head that's all they were there were matches that would just consisted of these two guys pounding the fuck out of each other with chairs to the head uh i mean brutal chair shots (laughs) those matches were, were were ridiculous um yeah he might be one of those guys that that fell under the radar. I'm surprised he wasn't picked up by any. I know he correct me if I'm wrong. He may have done some WCW stuff, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, I know he. I, I, I'm almost certain he didn't have a WWF run. Um, but yeah, he was like seemed like one of those guys that fell under under the radar um, and probably made his biggest name in um, ECW. The stuff that he did and the FMW. I liked him a lot, though. Um, I thought he was good. I can't remember if I read this last week. Shingo Star says, most likely to accidentally kill themselves during lo- lockdown, Will or Kota. I tell you, have you seen the size of Osprey? He's going to be super yeah. heavyweight by the time he comes back. Yeah, he's doing the opposite of what I'm doing. <laughs> he's, he's getting fit. I'm not. Uh, I mean, I don't want to... You know, I, I, I get the, the joke, but... Um, I see uh, Coda jumping around, right? I saw a couple of things where he's moonsaulting cameras and crotch shots and all kinds of shit. Uh, look, they're bored. They're young. I mean, I can't, look, let's be truthful. Imagine if you're a single young lady or a single guy, 20s, and now you, you're kind of for months. You can't, you know, you're not swiping right anymore or left or whatever you swipe, Right. You know, these these guys got a lot of, and, and you know, people have a, a lot of pent up frustrations going on right now. They uh, they're at their peak. They got to they got to release this stuff. 
they're, now they're doing videos on TikTok and uh, all this shit. These people got to fuck, Joel. We got to end this quick. We got a problem. I'm telling you what, it's going to be, it's two, there's two schools of thought. Either people are going to be very cautious about going places or it's going to be Roman orgies in the street. <sighs> I'm hoping that for the Roman orgies in the street. I could, I could use to see a boober too. <laughs> <laughs> no, All right, uh, so the Twitter questions then. Shooting the breeze at breeze underscore shooting says question for Joel. How do you feel about the footy season ending behind closed doors? Did you eat all your crisps and Kit Kats? Did you get some Jaff cakes from the Marks and Spencers? Yes, I got Jaff cakes. I, those crisps lasted about three days. They were very small bags, which I love, you know, because I could f- kind of do portion control. I'm, like, I'm just going to have a small bag and then I'll save the rest for later. But of course, that just means I end up eating like four of those in one sitting. But uh, as far as the football season goes. <laughs> you're doing it behind closed doors and you're doing it with all these caveats and restrictions then it ceases to be the premier league so if they if they do do this finish to the season then it's not the premier league anymore and it's always going to have an asterisk next to it and i just think it's fundamentally unfair on the clubs that will end up getting relegated that didn't get to play all their home games that they would have done normally or uh you know, it's never going to work out fairly for all 20 teams involved. So I, I just think it's stupid. I think just call the whole thing off. If it, you know, Liverpool fans are going to get upset, give them the, the trophy. Just say, yeah, you won. Well done. We'll send a giant asterisk that, has to that been your sort- stadium. Yeah. Has that been sorted out yet? Like, like nope. Liverpool, correct me if I'm wrong, haven't really won a ton of championships, right? And they've been waiting a long time they've for never, this. Yeah, they've never won the Premier League. So this is their first Premier League. And... You know, just even if you do present it to them, it's not like they can celebrate it properly anytime soon. Right. So it's just a weird situation all round. And I do kind of feel for their fans that they've been waiting this long for it. And now, whatever way it goes down, it's going to be tainted. So they're not going to get it in that authentic way of, you know, winning it in front of your fans during a football match or, uh, you know, even if it's won by another team losing or not winning, that you get to celebrate it and get the trophy paraded at your stadium in the next home match. They're not going to be able to get that for now anyway so it's just yeah I think the whole season is a write-off I'm not in favor of uh, ending the season personally uh, uh, I mean of ending it behind closed doors I think they should just cancel it and start it again right. when it's ready to right. be started yeah that sucks sorry Liverpool sorry imagine the Leafs oh my god the Leafs <laughs> well listen I have I have, I do take some uh, some comfort in the fact knowing that the Leaf, the Leafs would have been eliminated from the playoffs already so <laughs> I, right now, I'm, yeah, it would be status quo for me. No big deal. John says, what are some of your guys' favorite British or Irish comedy shows? I love Graham Linehan and stuff like Father Ted, and I think Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is one of the best shows ever. What should I watch next? Yeah, I love both of those things. The The Father Ted episode with um, Father Stack. I can't remember the name of the episode, but that is one of my favorite comedy episodes of all time. That is, that's genius. I love Dark Place as well. Um, what else do I like? Brass Eye and the day-to-day are superb i like big train i like the adam and joe show when it was on back in the day this is a really good question david have you got oh oh, the office i think that's amazing um have you got any favorite british comedies i mean no i mean i i'm i barely watch american tv let alone british tv um the young ones (laughs) that's probably Uh, probably great i love it me too. I really love Rick so much. Um, they're what are they? Only like nine episodes or some shit like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, but no, I don't. I'm not. 
I mean, I watch, but I'm trying to think of British TV that I've watched. IT Crowd, I've watched. I've watched. Um, I watched a lot of the the British Office. Um, but that's about it, really. I got to be honest. I'm not really, not really up on the on the on TV shows. I couldn't name American TV shows. To be honest with you. I'm a big fan of all the Alan Partridge stuff as well. I think he's great. Uh, I'm just scrolling through my hard disk drive here. The extras is good. Um, Summer Heights High is not British, but I thought that was really funny. Although I think the guy who did it has been cancelled, so <laughs> maybe I should uh, rescind <laughs> that that praise. Uh, Look Around You, that's great. It's like kind of spoofs of uh, 80s educational science videos that you watch when you're in school. Uh, Nathan Barley. How later... How about later with Jules Holland? I never fan. watched it. No, you never watched it. Oh, no, no not yeah, a fan. You know the concept of it, though, right? Yeah. Okay, I love that. Oh, it's Stuart Lee. Anything Stuart Lee is great. And that's it. Those are all my recommendations. So lots of recommendations for you there, but definitely yeah. one of my favourite topics: British comedy. Next question, then. Um, big T. Last teases. question. All right. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, did you say last question? I think I lost you there for a second. Uh, did you, uh, uh, no, did you say last question? I said next question. Uh, how about last question? Last question. <laughs> Big T says, do you guys ever get wrestling burnout? And if so, how do you oh. manage it long term? Might sound blasphemous, but I've been burned out since G1 last year, trying to really get passionate about NJPW since. Well, that's why I was kind of trying to see the, the positive side of having this pause in the schedule because yeah it is hard to keep up with everything and it, i i found this opportunity a nice chance to take a breather catch up on stuff i've missed and then build up that appetite you know absence makes the heart grow fonder but i mean if you're burnt out stop watching it <laughs> why would you force yourself to do something you're not enjoying i know but you i i it feels like people have this obligation right they, they've committed to this cause so they have to they feel like they have to um yes i absolutely get burnt out and it's usually right after the dome because I'm just, you know, you usually see a lot of wrestling at one time. You're exhausted and you, and, and you kind of get your fill. Um, I think everybody does. I think everybody gets that way. But I think Joel is spot on in the sense that I want something I know that I can't have. Um, so let me go back. At first, it was a comfort thing of let me, ch- I'll watch, you know, fucking wrestling challenge episodes, you know, like old WWF shit just to get the comfort. Just to feel the nostalgia and feel the warm blanket, but then that that grows, and then you know you see shit, and you're like, oh, that was pretty fucking cool. What else is there? And and it, and it and it and it grows again. Look, pro wrestling will always be in your heart, right? If you're a fan of pro wrestling, it's always going to be in your heart. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to. It has to be the center of your life twenty four seven. You can go explore other things. You're in an open relationship, right? You're in an open relationship. You can go out. See other people, fuck around with that, but always know pro wrestling will be there when you get back, and then you get back in, and then you get deeper, deeper, and deeper. Um, so take your time with it. Don't feel guilty. Don't beat yourself up, up, up over that. Uh, but step away. Yeah, go see other things. Do other things. Come back because it's always going to be there, and it's always going to be good. There's always good stuff to find. Um, I, I get really de- not depressed, but I get you know kind of 
when people are like, oh, there's nothing, you know, there's no good wrestling anymore. Well, f- yeah, there is. Find it. You, you might have to take a little f- effort. And if not, go back to what you fucking like. Watch what you like. Oh, but you're going to be good. You're going to be good. All right, I got to get to work. So uh, uh, what do you say we wrap it up in a nice little bow, Joel? Let's do it. Redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash day dash cast if you want to throw some money our way to show your appreciation for us churning out the content during these dark days when you've got nothing else to listen to. And you can also join our Discord, and the link to that's in the show notes, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash superjcast to get one of our t-shirts. Thanks to editor Dan, visit his YouTube channel and find him on Twitter at LousyHero219. Subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can hear me join in wrestling omakaze sometime in the next couple of weeks um, look forward to that subscribe uh, oh no I said that already give us a five snake review on iTunes follow us on Twitter at SuperJCast thank you everyone for listening and goodbye goodbye